0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. It
1: is critically important for your life. Listen to me. It is critically important for your life that you establish what is truth and who is the right to determine what is truth. Do I have the right to determine what is truth for me? And that is the cultural norm for today. Or has truth been established by God? And it's only his truth that ultimately is actual truth.
0: Most of us are familiar with the term intersection, but did you know that intersections can also be called crossroads? Because it's literally a place where two roads cross. Life contains many crossroads, and I don't just mean when you're driving.
1: Thinking about this idea of what is church and what is the impact of the church, what is the church supposed to be all about, what is the church supposed to do, what's supposed to be the church's influence, I cannot think perhaps of any place in the Bible better than to go and look at the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're so glad you could join us today because we're excited to be kicking off a brand new series entitled, you guessed it, Crossroads. In this series, Pastor Clay is going to be walking us through the books of the Bible known as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The city of Corinth was at the crossroads of east-west and north-south trading routes for the known world. It was a city filled with people, prosperity, and sinful practices. In the middle of it all was the church, struggling to figure out how they were to be in the world but not of the world.
1: If I'm part of the church, how do I interact with my spouse, with my family members, with my co-workers, with my classmates? How do I engage and interact in the culture that I live in? If I'm part of this church, how do I do all of that? What is the result or the impact or the consequence of the church?
0: The Apostle Paul, who founded the church in Corinth, wrote these letters to help the followers of Jesus in Corinth understand how to be salt and light in a culture that was dark and decaying. As Pastor Clay will talk about in just a few moments, the culture that you and I live in today is not that different from the culture that Corinthian Christians found themselves in. The Apostle Paul addresses a host of subjects that are very relevant for the church today. So, thanks for joining us for this important series. Let's get started. I want to
1: ask you a question this morning. Uh, Actually, I want to ask you two questions this morning, but I don't necessarily want you to answer them, at least not right away. I want you to think about these questions the first question i want to ask you this morning is this what is the church what is this thing that we that we do is the church a building that people meet in is the church a, a place that i go because of some type of obligation i feel because of perhaps tradition or is the church uh, the place i go to somehow Identify with the spiritual part or component of my life? Is it something more than, than all of that? What is church? You know, if you asked the average person, what is the Marine Corps? If you asked the average person, what, the, what is the Marine Corps? You would probably get some type of answer, I suspect, like, well, the Marine Corps is a branch of the United States Armed Services, And of course, that would not be incorrect, would it? But I suspect if you asked a Marine, what is the Marine Corps? I suspect if you asked Joe Thomas, I suspect if you asked Russell Hill, I don't know if we have any other Marines in here or not, but I suspect if you asked a Marine, what is the Marine Corps? I suspect you would get a very different answer. Suspect that somewhere in their answer, somewhere in their explanation or definition of what is the Marine Corps, you would you would hear some things like the Marine Corps is a is a is a code of conduct. The Marine Corps is a is a, a, a a camaraderie. The Marine Corps is a, a band of, of brothers and sisters. The Marine Corps is a is a, is a family. If you asked a Marine, what is the Marine Corps, I suspect you'd get a very different answer than if you asked a person who is not a Marine. Therefore, what I'm saying to you is how you define the Marine Corps may be very different if you are part of the Corps. Would you agree with that, Russell? With that in mind, I ask again, what is church? You see, I believe that how you answer that question may vary depending on whether you are actually part of the church. If you ask a person who is not part of the church, they they're not into the God thing, Jesus. They don't. If you ask a person who's not part of the church, I, I suspect you might hear some things like, "Well, uh, the the church is where where people go to to talk about God. The church is the place where outdated and old fashioned ideas are talked about. The church is a place where people get married. The church is religion." See, I, I, I think if you are part of the church and you have a biblical understanding, I think, in fact, I would say that you probably could use the exact same language that a Marine might use to describe the Marine Corps. The church is a, a camaraderie. The church is a, a, a code of conduct. The church is a, a, a band of brothers and sisters. The church is a family. The second question I want to ask you connect it to the first question is this, what is the result of the church? How does the church impact uh, my life? If I am a part of the church, how is my life any different from a person who is not part of the church? If I'm part of the church, how do I act or treat these other people who are supposedly part of this family? If I'm part of the church, how do I how do I interact with my spouse, with my family members, with my coworkers, with my classmates? How do I, how do I engage and interact in the culture that I, that I live in? If, if I'm part of this church, how do, I, how do I do all of that? What is the result or the impact or the consequence of the... Welcome to Crossroads. A new series that we are starting today that we're kicking off that we're going to spend a significant amount of time in because I do not believe in, in, in thinking about this idea of what is church and what is the impact of the church, what is the church supposed to be all about, what is the church supposed to do, what's supposed to be the church's influence. I, I cannot think perhaps of any place in the Bible better than to go and look at the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. First and Second Corinthians, or as the Brits would say, 1 and 2 Corinthians. I don't know that there could be a better place for us to spend time discussing or looking at this idea. What does it mean to say, I'm church, I'm part of the church. I can't think of anything better than to spend time walking through 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, Dixie. 2,000 years ago to the church in Corinth that are going to provide for us for however many weeks that y'all are able to make it through this study, that are going to provide for us an amazingly contemporary model for how to do church in the 21st century. How is that even possible? How can, how can letters written 2,000 years ago actually be applicable for our lives today? Well, for one thing, God oversaw the writing of those letters. Letters. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, maybe you've read this before. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Oh, I I think I'll write about blah, blah, blah. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So God oversaw this writing so that this writing then communicates Truth And it it is communicating truth because God is truth, John 14, 6. And because God is truth, and because God does not change, 1 Samuel 15, 29, Malachi 3, 6. Because God does not change, his truth does not change. That is critically important for you to understand and settle in your mind. Whether you're here and you're... Uh, an adult in the middle of a career or a teenager trying to decide what you're going to do with your life or a, a child. It's, it's critical that you and I understand that we settle what is truth and where does truth come from? Because, and I, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, we live in a culture that has decided that that truth is is a moving target, that truth is relative, that truth can be whatever I would desire for that truth to be for me, that that can become my truth. But can I, I, can I just, I'm just saying this to you, and, and you, don't, you don't have to like it or, or, or whatever, but I, I, I'm telling you that that's not how truth works. That's not how truth works. Let me give you an example. A person could say, well, two plus two equals five. I, that's, uh, I, that's not what I was taught, but I've decided from now on that for me, 2 plus 2 is going to equal 5. They can live their life based on the, their belief that truth is 2 plus 2 equals 5. They can, they can pay their bills based on their, their understanding of truth that 2 plus 2 equals 5. They'll always be a little off, but, but they can do that. They can say, well, for me, it, it, just, it just works. I, I just like 2 plus 2 equals 5. They can make that their truth. But you understand it doesn't change the truthful fact that two plus two equals four always has equal four and always will equal four. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Now you might say, well, that's a silly example. But is it any sillier? Is it any sillier than the 11-year-old boy that says, I've decided I'm a girl now. Is it any sillier than the the man who says, I've decided I want to be with a a man. Or the woman who says, I'll... Want to be with a woman? See, it it a person can determine that that is their truth. A culture can determine that that that, that they have moved truth, and the truth can mean uh, something else. But it doesn't change the truth. That in in that particular instance, Mark chapter ten, uh, verse six doesn't change the truth. That but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. It doesn't change that truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, oh, oh, oh this. Why are you picking on transgenders and homosexuals? Please hear me. And y'all know I don't, I don't do this a lot, but I, I'm not picking on transgenders and homosexuals. I, I, I'm really not. It happens to be a very contemporary example of how culture has, has arbitrarily moved truth, has arbitrarily decided that truth can slide and change and become something different. It happens to be a very contemporary model that I can use. But, but please understand, I, I, do, I am not picking on them. I, I, I truly... I pity them. I, I really do. Because the truth of Romans chapter 1 is still the truth of Romans chapter 1. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Listen to me. That doesn't mean God didn't care. It does not mean, when it says God abandoned them, it does not mean that God did not care or does not care. It means that God let them choose, make their choice and choose and to move in a direction that they moved. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they... They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things of God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So in other words, it was a culture. It was a, it was a, it was a people moving away from, the, the, from this very idea of this God who is worthy of worship. And because of that, God says, I've got to let them go. I've got to let them do what they're going to do. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved or had or had earned, quite honestly. Changing truth of God for a lie. And, and, and it, it breaks my heart to say that. And I'm I'm not... I'm not that, that's true of anybody who, who, who embraces or gets involved in any kind of sinful practice. That just happens, as I said, to be a contemporary example of where our, our culture has decided that it can shift truth. It can move truth to whatever it wants it to be. But the truth of God never changes. That's why two 2,000-year-old 2, letters are still applicable, can still have application for the church today. If you might say, or someone might say to me, well, who gives you the right to determine what is truth and, and what is not truth? that That's precisely my point. I don't have the right to determine what is truth. Neither does any other human being, ladies and gentlemen. No one has the right to determine truth. God is the arbiter of truth. Uh, social uh, practices, uh, social... Uh, Norms can sometimes vary, and it's important to know those and understand what they were in a particular context or a particular situation. But declarative truth, as revealed by God, does not change. The second reason two 2,000-year-old letters can still have application for our life today is because not only does God not change, ladies and gentlemen, human nature does not change. And the problems that, as we're going to read in just a moment, at least part of it, the problems that confronted the church in Corinth... Two thousand years ago, still confront the church today. We still face some of those same issues uh, in our lives today. A- at the time of Paul's writing, the church to the church in Corinth. Uh, by the way, Paul had founded the church in Corinth. Uh, you can find that in Acts chapter 18. He had founded the church in Corinth. He spent a year and a half in Corinth investing in people's lives, leading people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, pouring into people, helping them develop as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And he loved the people of Corinth. He loved uh, the, the church there. And he writes these letters because he begins to hear of some of the struggles. And to be sure, they were struggling. They were struggling with what was going on around them, which I'll talk about in just a second, and they were struggling with their own fleshly desires that all of us have, and we we understand all of that. And so he writes to them, and he writes to us things that are pertinent for our lives, even in the church today. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, it was a major player on the world stage, the the, the city of Corinth at that time. William Barclay says that it was one of the greatest... uh, 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 Cities for commerce in the known world at that time. The city of Corinth was literally at the crossroads of the east-west and north-south trade routes for the known world. Uh, something to you here, just so you can can see it. You can see where Corinth is there on the map. All of that water around you basically is is part of the Mediterranean Sea. It's not on the map, but off to the west was was Italy and Rome and and all of the. All of the commerce that would go on, that would be on ships sailing from Rome, they would, they would cut across the small little part of the Mediterranean. They would come down the coastline and they would turn in and they would go down this, what is called the Gulf of Corinth. And they would arrive at Corinth. The sailors, now years later, I should say that years later, a canal was dug where they, they, could, they could float the boats through. But the sailors would literally pull their ships across this little isthmus, this little strip of land that that went across there, where Corinth was located, so that they could they could go from the the Gulf of Corinth. They could go into the uh, the 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 Gulf that's that's there on the other side, which would keep them from having to go to sail all the way down around what was known as the Cape of Malia, which was a very dangerous uh, sailing part. The the sailors had a had a saying: any any sailor that sail that sails around Malia. Uh, says goodbye to their family and better have their will written. By going up the Gulf of Corinth and crossing over this little isthmus, this little strip of land right there at Corinth, uh, they they could not only be much safer, they could save themselves about 200 miles on their trip, which was a big deal. So everybody, everybody came through Corinth. Merchandise coming from north or south, East or west, it's flowing through one way or the other. It's predominantly flowing through Corinth. It was wildly prosperous. And with that prosperity, as is usually the case, with that prosperity, shape, form, or fashion practice that you can think of took place in Corinth. So infamous was Corinth's reputation as a, as a city of wild living and parting and debauchery. So infamous was Corinth's reputation for this that the word Corinthianized, according to Barclay again, the word Corinthianized had actually worked its way into the Greek culture. It it came to mean uh, to live with drunken and immoral debauchery. Today we might say something like, man, that guy is hammered. That guy is wasted. Back then they'd say, that guy is Corinthianized. That, that, that was the city of Corinth. That's what, that's what had happened in the city of Corinth. On top of all of that, <laughs> literally on top of all of that, on, on a hill, I believe it's just outside the city, uh, this hill uh, known as Acropolis stood towering above the city, the, the great, the mighty temple where a thousand, a thousand temple prostitutes were employed so that men and women could go up and worship. Every form of vice and sinfulness and debauchery and everything that you can possibly think of was in Corinth. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of that, was the church. And they're trying to figure out how to be church. How to do church, how to live, how to act, how to treat each other, how to interact in the culture in which they live. How do we do this thing? We're followers of Jesus. How, how, do, how do we make this work in a world and in a culture that is so different from, from what we're, we're being taught and what the Word of God says? How do we do this thing in the middle of all of what was going on? Except for a few particulars and some, some geographical stuff. The description I just gave of ancient Corinth could fit just as well into the culture that you and I live in today. And so, two letters written 2,000 years ago still have application for our lives. Now listen, I know that that's a lot in the way of an introduction before we've even cracked open the book. I, I understand that's a lot in the way of an introduction, but because we're going to be in these two letters for, for a significant period of time, I, I felt like it was okay to kind of b- to lay down some background and help us understand a little bit about Corinth and what was going on in it. And secondly, I wanted to take the time to go through all of that this morning because and I think I already referenced it. I'll say it again. It is critically important for your life. Listen to me. Wherever you are, whatever. It is critically important for your life that you establish. And who is the right to determine what is truth? Do I have the right to determine what is truth for me? And that, that, is, the, that is the cultural norm for today. Or is, as, as, has truth been established by God? And it's only his truth that ultimately is actual truth. It, it is critically important that you establish that for your life. When you're, when you're just living your life, when you're in discussions with somebody and they're, you know, all this kind of stuff, and you have to determine, I, I understand what you're coming from. I understand that that may offend somebody. I understand, and, and that's not my intention. But I, I have to say to you, here's what God says about this or that or this situation or how I do this in life or, or what this is for my life. This is, and, 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 it's, and God's either right. Or the culture is right, and that's, you know, every person has to decide for themselves where they come down on that. Now, I know that's a lot, but I want to do that. I think it's important to do that. I want you to establish this idea, I'm particularly speaking to to, to young people, uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers that, that uh, are confronted with this really probably every day more than we are uh, and who are going to go off to you know, the workplace or school or, or the military or career, whatever it might be, and you're going to be confronted with things. And you have to, you have to determine for yourself. You've got to decide, what do I believe is truth. Critically important. I want to just read to you Paul's uh, opening greeting uh, to the church in Corinth. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read to you his opening greeting. And then, just time permitting, we're going to go through a, a few of these. Now, I'll be honest with you. If, if we were in a hurry to get through this series... If we are in a hurry to get through this series, then you might think, well, that's just a greeting. We can skip over that. We can get to what, what we sometimes refer to as the meat of the, of the text. But the truth is, there's a lot of meat on them bones right in the, right in the greeting. And so I wanted to share just a little bit about that. And, and then we'll, we'll start digging in really deep diving starting next week. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You've been sitting for a few minutes. How about if you just stand this morning as we read God's Word. Give you a chance to stretch your legs. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're able to stand, please do so. If you can't, it's quite, uh, quite all right. The text is on the screen as well. If you don't happen to have a copy of God's Word with you. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech. And all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, today, as we've read your word, even this opening greeting to the Apostle Paul, that the Apostle Paul gave to the church in Corinth, I, I pray that each of us realize that it's an opening greeting to us. Your word is so amazing that it can still have uh, significant, uh, fresh, contemporary application for our lives right here today. Even though it was penned 2,000 years ago, it still has application. God, we're going to take our time walking through these books uh, at this, this, this crossroads that Corinth was, but also the, the crossroads of our lives, realizing that our lives every day intersect with the world and the culture around us. And ultimately where it needs to intersect is at the cross of Christ and how that would impact our life. God, I, I would pray that, that as we travel this, this road, that by the time we come to the end, we'll come to the other side of it, looking and living more like Jesus. That would ultimately be my goal as the pastor of this church, that each person would be living Thank you. Be seated for just a few more moments, and let me just uh, just call a couple of things to your attention this morning uh, from that opening greeting, and then we'll finish that up next week and then go on in to the book. Uh, we're gonna, let me just point out uh, some, some, just a few ideas just from that opening greeting. First one is this. We are called by God. We are called by God. I'm not going to read verses 1 and 2 again since I just read those, but... But if you'd like to fill in blanks, you can do that on the back of your information sheet. We are called, ladies and gentlemen, by God. Paul's all over that in verses 1 and 2. Sosthenes, by the way, is almost certainly the Sosthenes mentioned in Acts chapter 18 when Paul founded the church in Corinth. It's almost certainly the same Sosthenes. Not that the name was particularly a rare one in the Greek culture, but the fact that Paul mentions him by name with no explanation of who he was almost certainly means that the Corinthians knew exactly who Sosthenes was. And the fact that they knew who Sosthenes was almost certainly means that he was from Corinth, that Sosthenes was a Corinthian. Now, what's significant about that fact is that when Sosthenes is mentioned in Acts chapter 18... He's not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. He's mentioned by name. He's not a believer in Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 18. You see, uh, the apostle Paul had begun to share the gospel in Corinth. People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike. And as was usually the case in most cities where Paul went, the the Jews were not happy about that. They were not happy about people converting to Christianity. And so they they grabbed up Paul and they drug him down to the the local magistrate, the local judge or sheriff, whatever you want to call him. The guy's name was was, uh, Gallio. And they take him down to, to uh, Galio uh, to, to, to do something with this Apostle Paul who's preaching this Jesus stuff. And, and, and watch, look what happens in Acts chapter 18 and verse 17. And they all took a hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. So, so they go down there and they say, hey, this guy's preaching about this Jesus guy, and he's making people, they're becoming followers of Jesus, and and we don't like it. Well, Gallio's like, I don't care. I don't care about your belief system. I don't care about disagreements or arguments within your belief system. I don't have time to mess with this stuff. I don't care. And when he did that, the the crowd, they lost it. They went crazy. Now, Gallio doesn't care, but what's significant about this is that they grabbed their own guy. They grab the guy that's the head of the synagogue. They grab the guy that they should have had the utmost respect for, the guy that was the head of Jewish religion in their city. And that's who they grab and, and beat the Sosthenes out of him. <laughs> maybe Sosthenes was the one that came up with the idea. Well, let's carry him down to Galileo. He'll, he'll do something about it, he'll care. Maybe they, when they didn't, they, they didn't, maybe he didn't, maybe didn't think he presented a strong enough argument against Paul. Maybe, maybe uh, Sosthenes was trying to be a peacemaker. Wh- whatever the reason, they didn't like it. And they, they grabbed a hold of Sosthenes and beat the daylights out of him. I, I, don't, I don't know how it happened. I can speculate. Maybe the followers of Jesus were the only ones that came and ministered to Sosthenes as he laid there in the street. Maybe all the Jews said, we're not having anything to do with this guy. Maybe it was the Christians who came and ministered to Sosthenes. Maybe it was the followers of Jesus that, that, that nursed him back to health. Maybe the Apostle Paul's arguments had begun to have their effect. I don't know how it happened. But what I do know is by the, by the time Apostle Paul writes 1 Corinthians, not only is Sosthenes a believer in Jesus Christ, he's, he's out there doing it. He's out on the mission road with Paul. Listen, that's the power of the call. That's the power of the call. To change people's lives. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are called to salvation and to a relationship with God through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are called to help others call on the name of the Lord. We are called by God. Here real quick, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. God's calling. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to, what? Come to repentance. We're called of God. We never need to forget this. Some of the things that Paul states in his greeting, and to be sure, his greeting was very similar in a lot of his letters, but maybe things that we already know, but we need to be reminded of again and again and again. You and I are called of God. We are called to salvation And if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, God is calling to you. I I promise you, God is calling to you, even through His Word being spoken today. And we are called to be on mission with Him, to to help others call on the name of the Lord. Here's the the second idea real quickly this morning. And we'll probably quit with this one. We have grace and peace from God. From God. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father... And the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you read that verse with me out loud again? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. This is how the Apostle Paul starts every single one of his letters. Every single one of his letters. Thirteen times in his letters he mentions this exact phraseology right here. The Apostle Peter starts both of his letters with grace and peace. And... The Apostle Paul and the Bible overall, quite honestly, is declaring to you and to me that grace and peace come from God. That grace and peace are gifts from God that he gives to us. The formula here, the order here is critically important. It is always, Scripture always lists grace and then peace when they're both Listen, the Apostle Paul always says grace, is, listen to me, grace always precedes peace, always. In other words, you cannot have peace in your life. I honestly believe this. You cannot have peace in your life until you experience grace in your life. At best, you'll look for some cheap temporary fix. God's grace brought peace with God. So you have to understand that first. I, I gotta, I've got to have peace with God. Oh, what are you, are you saying that... that I'm an enemy of God? Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by, pay, pe- by faith... <laughs> I got my merge wixed up again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by, by faith, you know, a.k.a. grace. Because of that, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another one. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if... While we were, sorry, what's that word? Enemies. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, a.k.a. grace, much more having been reconciled, now having this been brought into peace with him, we shall be saved by his life, by his resurrection, the fact that he's, he's come back to life, life, it's, it's the evidence, the verification that, that we're, we've conquered death as well. You see, you have to experience peace with God. First, that's what grace does. It brings peace with God. Here's the second part of the formula. Not only peace with God, but God's grace brought peace from God. Once I experience peace with God, once you've experienced peace with God, and probably most of you in here have, then it's possible to have peace from God. Now, listen to me, or let's just jump into it. Let's listen to the Word of God. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking says, Peace I leave with you. Irene in the Greek. Very interesting word. You know what it means? Peace. That's what it means. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, watch this, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And what did he just say? My peace is not the same. It's not the same as as the idea that the world would have of peace. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And I've talked, I know I've talked about this before, but so many times... Uh, the world would 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 understand that peace is obtained through the satisfaction of my circumstance, through the through the through the good outcome of my circumstance. Oh, my bills are paid. Oh, I I I, I didn't need a root canal. Oh, my my kids are doing great in school. I just got a raise. You understand? That's the world's idea of peace. That it's based on my circumstance. And okay, there's no question about it. We all feel better. We all feel a sense of peace, don't we? When something goes good in our life? Sure. But what's the problem with that? It's going to check the time. It's going to change in five minutes. Something's going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. Something's going to... It's just the world we live in. Get used to it for a little while. God, God says, I, I can give you something better. I can give you something that's not based on your circumstance, but it's based on me and my power for your life. So that it's possible to actually live in a state of peace. And listen to me. Look at a few more verses, but listen to me. That is a very rare thing in this world. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and so that you will abound. Look at this, abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not just a little bit of hope. You're running over with hope. You're spilling over with hope. Hope everywhere. Let me, let me ask you a question on a daily basis. Does that, does that sound like your life? Abound in hope. All right, Here, let me give you another one. 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Uh, Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. And you know what he's saying there? He's saying, you may have this Jesus thing, but you still may not quite... Mm, be grasping all of what this means for your life. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You see, when we have peace with God through His grace, you can then experience peace from God through His grace. One more, very famous one, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, one that, that, that many people can recite and few of us seem to live. Don't worry about anything. Why do they have to leave that in there? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, which is just what prayer is—just telling God. Tell God what you need, and listen. You know, you know this, but it's not—it's not like God. Oh, oh, I, you need a pack of ham. I didn't know that. I—it's not that. It's that by telling God what you need, what are you doing? What are you demonstrating? You're demonstrating faith. You're saying, God, I, I, need, I, I need you to work in a situation. And faith honors God, right? So God's able to, to work with Tell God what you need. Thank him for what all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. We'll guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's peace from God. Now listen, all of us know what it is to come in and out of peaceful moments, right? We know what it is to experience it, but then something starts coming and we start, y'all know what I'm saying or is it just me? We start feeling, we start like, oh, oh no, I I don't, this this bill's going to be, oh, this this person is, I don't know, right? And so you and I have to make a, a, a declarative determination. You and I have to say, no, God, I will choose to believe in you, walk with you, follow you, serve you, uh, experience you in my life. I, I know all this may happen, and this may come, and I know this is gonna be, what. but God, by faith, I will choose you. And God says, if we will do that, if we'll genuinely do it, not just words or lip, lip service, but that, that's genuinely the desire of our heart, he says, I'll meet you right there. I'll meet you. And I'll calm your spirit, and I'll remind you that I am the God who is the great I am, the one who can meet every need in your life. On the cross. Aren't you glad?
0: What a blessing it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. As we saw today, even in Paul's opening greeting to the church in Corinth, God is the one who provides us with everything we need. The culture in Corinth was much like our culture today open sinfulness and perversion of all kinds. The church is called to be different and to make a difference. And that's what we're going to explore further as we make our way through this series. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids' program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. I want to you to the cross.
1: I want you to the cross.
0: Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.